Ahoy, it's your boy, and welcome to episode 94 of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast, and why others will also. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Also, video podcast available now at thisismpod.com. That's thisismpod.com. You can see the latest episode there, or you can click through uh, to our YouTube channel where you can subscribe and watch all the good stuff that's being posted there every week. Um, If you do watch the podcast regularly, you probably notice something very different about this video podcast. Um, I'm stifling burps as usual, but if you are watching the video podcast, you will see that it looks quite a bit different. Hopefully better. I uh, got a new phone. I got a new phone over uh, the weekend. Uh, This week was my birthday. And um, I'll tell you the story of my other phone here shortly, but um, just to put it quickly, I got a new phone. Uh, It shoots in pretty high-quality video. And, um, you know, I've been shooting uh, the video podcast on my computer just using the Zoom screen record feature or whatever. And uh, although that's fine, I mean, if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you know that my whole mental state going into this whole thing was just use what you have, make it simple. And really the whole goal was just to record a podcast every week where I just have a stream of consciousness. So it was really not about technology. It's very easy when you want to do something to get mired in, oh, do I I want to get a better microphone or I want to get a better camera, yada, yada, yada. And um, not that I, uh, you know, I mean, this was really an exercise in sort of faith uh, on that principle on my part, the principle that you can just sort of start using what you have and do the best you can. And uh, could it be better? Sure. But um, really the goal was just to uh, get the thing done, you know, <laughs> rather than find reasons or, or to find things to put in my way to, to keep from um, doing the damn thing, just start using what I had. And uh, by episode 94, that's exactly what we've done. Um, I happened to get a new phone uh, for reasons I'll probably describe here shortly, but I figured since it records better video, why not try it and see if it works? Uh, if we do continue the podcast past episode 100, which I think we will, although I may take some time to sort of retool and just sort of think about what it's going to be moving forward, um, I figured it has to look better because Zoom, you know, at least with my account, only records in 720, which is pretty uh, ancient considering where uh, digital cameras and all that stuff is. Today, uh, I do have a DSLR that I used to record all my videos with, but um, something about that just seemed like from a bygone era, for me at least. I've, I've used it forever and ever, and um, just something about that workflow just didn't seem fun for me. However, I got a new, I got a new phone. Um, should I tell you which one or just leave that a mystery? I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm advertising for any company. I'll just say that I got a, uh, a new phone that's very popular now from a very popular uh, phone uh, manufacturer and, uh, they make other products as well. Uh, but, uh, the reason I bought it is because last week was my birthday. I didn't mention it on the podcast cause I wasn't even thinking about it. I've been so mired in school and all these things that, uh, I didn't even stop to consider that my birthday was coming up. I turned 36, which is fucking nuts. And, um, you know, I just, uh, my birthday is not a big deal for me. I don't, uh, have a lot of trepidation about it. I don't feel particularly excited about it when it happens. Um, it's just kind of another day. So 
um, on my actual birthday, it was just sort of a, a regular day and actually a kind of busy one at that. I had to wake up, I had school all morning and then I had to do work, uh, homework for a couple hours. And then I had a special counseling slash therapy appointment, um, which I may tell you about in the future. Um, but that took a huge chunk out of the middle of my day, which I normally use for school. So I had to come back here do as much work as I could before I, uh, do as much homework as I could before I started working. And I ended up working from four to midnight and uh, even had to stay up uh, a couple hours to finish uh, some work after that. So the next day I woke up, I studied all day. I had a test that night, uh, which actually I'll interrupt my story here to just say I had, um, I'm in my second summer session of Chinese and, you know, especially in the beginning, you, the first two weeks is sort of laid back. So basically the entire session is six weeks. And just from the last session, I realized the first two weeks uh, you spend that time going over two chapters. But now that we're entering into the third week, we will now do two chapters every week. Does that make sense? So we spend two weeks on two chapters, but from here on out, we spend one week on two chapters. So the pace doubles. And although I thought the last couple of weeks was going to be chill, it's actually been more stressful than the last semester. Um, I have more demands on my time as far as work goes. Uh, time that I was able to devote entirely to school is now completely spoken for and it's immovable. <clears throat> and so uh, it, it's at, the last two weeks have actually been really challenging for me. Um, and I was going into this test with a lot of trepidation. I just didn't feel fully prepared. And yet, as I was taking the test, excuse me, as I was taking the test, I actually thought it was very, very easy. Now, if you remember from a couple episodes ago, I was telling this story about how I was finishing the final test from the first session, and I thought I did so well on it. I, I genuinely thought I got 100%. And I don't know what it says about my psychology, but I was so convinced that if I got 100% that like, the teacher would think I was cheating or whatever the case is, that I actually took an answer I believed to be or I knew to be correct and changed it to the wrong answer. Lo and behold, when I submitted the test, I realized I got a lot more wrong than I thought. Now, the answer I turned to being wrong was not a deal breaker. It didn't adversely affect my grade in any major way. But it just, it's interesting to think I thought I was doing incredibly well, so I hindered myself a little bit, not realizing I already wasn't doing that great. Now, that one question would not have made or break me either way, so thankfully. Um, it would have been super shitty if I would have gotten an A had it not been for that one answer, but I didn't. I just got a B. Um, but I did get an A in the class overall, so mission accomplished. Um, and uh, But this time, I went into the test feeling really ill-prepared, and I wasn't quite sure how I did when I turned the test in, because uh, although I had plenty of time, I had about a half hour to review all my answers, there was still some I, I really feel like I just had to make a, a confident guess on. That's about the best I could do. Um but I hit submit, and I there's still some aspects of the test that need to be graded, but I got everything that could be graded correct. So we'll see. Again, there's things that have to be graded still, but um, I did uh, I did very well um, from what I can tell so far. So um, yay for me, I guess. Um, I'm not really one to celebrate my birthday, but I guess I'll celebrate my school successes. Um, the crazy thing about this new phone, though, and this also, this says something about me. And this is kind of embarrassing for me to go into. Um, just because to fully understand what I'm talking about, you kind of have to understand some things about me that are that are vulnerable for me to talk about, I guess, uh, publicly. 
Um, but I've had the same shitty phone for the last, you know, three years or so. And uh, it, especially in the first episodes of this podcast and probably sprinkled throughout it, I, I, I've talked sort of at length about this um, great opportunity I had when I was still doing, doing music where I got to uh, go on tour with Matt Nathanson. And uh, we did a tour of the West Coast. And in the events leading up to that, I remember I was sort of, I approached him about the possibility of doing it. Um, I believe I was in communication with his manager at that time. But I think shortly before winter break, you know, my girlfriend and I were planning this winter trip and I really wanted to have an answer to whether or not this was going to happen so that I could relax on my winter vacation. My girlfriend and I were going to, I think we were going to, uh, we spent a couple nights in Joshua Tree together and then uh, uh, went to Seattle, I believe, possibly Portland, but I'm pretty sure it was Seattle. And I really wanted to know whether the tour was going to happen before I left so that I could just relax over winter break. And thankfully, just I think like two days before the vacation, I heard from the manager that it was going to happen. So that was awesome. I was able to go on vacation and, you know, it's kind of funny when you have something that you're looking forward to, like whether it's a school admission or wanting to go on tour with somebody or getting a gig or whatever the case may be. A lot of times you think, oh, once I get that dialed in or figured out, I'm just going to be happy. But the truth is that, of course, it always just opens up another set of problems. Because once I realized the tour was going to happen, then I just get to worry about the tour, right? Um, of course, I was excited about it and I was very happy. But I do remember, um, although we, when, when we were in Joshua Tree, my girlfriend actually had to leave a night before me, I believe, for some kind of wedding bachelorette party obligation. Um, and so I spent a night in Joshua Tree by myself. And uh, the Airbnb we were staying at, uh, had a hot tub. And I remember being in there by myself the night before and just kind of, um, you know, if you've ever been out to Joshua Tree, the sort of the town surrounding that, there's just, it's not super developed. It's just very dark. So at night, you can see the night sky. And it's just, on a clear night, it's just absolutely beautiful. You can see all the stars and the constellations. And um, I remember being in that hot tub, just kind of looking up at the stars. It, uh, it's so poetic. And just just kind of thinking about the future. And uh, I think like a lot of things that we anticipate, one, we can never imagine what it's actually going to be like. But we can, we're also, at least for me, I imagine myself on the other side of it. You know, what kind of experiences will I have? How will I be different afterwards? Um but I do have this very vivid memory of just kind of being in this hot tub, just kind of looking at the stars and just kind of, I don't know, just kind of enjoying being my, myself in this moment, you know, before this, you know, this opportunity where I'd be playing, you know, bigger stages than I'd ever played before. And also that opportunity came to me at a weird time where I wasn't playing a lot of shows. And so in many ways, I thought I was like gonna, about to run a marathon I hadn't really trained for. Um, thankfully when I got up on stage, um, you know, it, it was very natural and I was actually, it was actually very, um, validating, you know, to play these huge rooms and to be scared and, and yet at the same time to be up there and feel so comfortable. Um, you know, in some ways at the time it really made me feel like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, but the, the only reason I'm, I'm going into this, all this fucking detail is, on that vacation, when my girlfriend and I, I think we're flying back from Seattle, I dropped my phone outside of the car rental place. And I, you know, I'm not really precious with my belongings, you know, I'm not reckless with them, but I'm not, 
you know, I'm not super precious with them either. So I kind of tend to toss my phone around, not in a malicious way, but I mean, you know, I'll toss it onto the sofa or toss it onto the bed or whatever the case is. And, uh, so I, I've, and I've dropped this phone like a hundred times and actually I don't use a case normally with phones, um, which people think is insane, but I've always been like very, I don't know if cavalier is the word, but, uh, just being like, oh, well, I've never had problems before. And I just knew when this camera hit the ground, it just felt different, you know, it just like sounded different hitting the ground and it wasn't like a crack or anything like that, but I just, um, I just kind of knew the minute it, it hit the ground that uh, this was not like other falls. And so I pick it up and I turn it over and of course the screen is cracked. And uh, I don't think it was in that moment, but I told myself, um, you know, I think before this tour, I should probably get a new phone. And I remember in the time leading up to it, I was thinking, yeah, probably, probably good to get that phone. Just kind of scared that maybe it would take a crap on me as I was sort of out and needing my phone and needing to, you know, needing it to take directions, et cetera, et cetera. But I never did. And I think part of that was there was a lot of fees associated with uh, doing the tour anyway. I had to get merchandise made, um, rental car, gas, all that sort of shit. I mean, you know, the the, the endeavor that I was doing or, or the way that I was touring was actually on the cheap compared to most artists. And yet it's still, I don't think people really realize how much money you have to invest in performing before you get paid. And uh, anyway, I don't want to get mired in that shit, but um, the point is, is that I have used the same broken phone for the last three years, and I wish, uh, I almost wish I had grabbed it so I could bring it over here and show it to you, but um, the screen was just absolutely shattered. There was uh, the home button in the last couple months especially has stopped working. I basically have to hit it like seven times for it to work at all, and uh, even then, like sometimes it just wouldn't work, and I would have to like give it two minutes and just try again later. Um, there was like shards missing from it. I actually had like packing tape around one section of it because there was, you know, just the glass was missing. You could kind of like see what was under the display and like the home button. There was just like a huge, like, you know, just a big piece of glass missing from right next to it. Like you, you, it just seems like you would just cut your fingers up, uh, if it wasn't. So I, I literally had packing tape wrapped around the base of this phone. And finally with my birthday coming up, I just thought, you know, I think it's time to treat yourself. And so uh, it wasn't cheap. Um, Oh, and I think this is what I'm getting at. And in some ways, my truck is this way as well. I have this truck from like 2000. It's like a 22-year-old truck almost. And it runs well. Um, It has some physical issues. It got hit a while ago. You probably remember that story. I still have an outstanding issue with that. The fucking insurance company hasn't fixed one of the parts on it. And now I can't get a hold of them. But, um, uh, I'm just not a very, um, I'm just not a very materialistic person. It just doesn't really motivate me. I mean, I have this great phone and I have plenty of nice things that I enjoy and I treat well and I take care of, but I'm not really motivated toward, uh, materialistic things. I don't covet like people's technology or, um, vehicles or anything like that. And so I've had this truck forever where technically if I wanted to get a new car, I could get a new car. If, uh, for the last three years, if I've wanted to get a new phone, no problem. I could get a phone, no problem. I could get whatever phone I want for the most part. And yet I don't. I just sort of suffer with the item that I have. And it's not out of any kind of, um, 
it's not I don't experience it as being out of principle. In some ways I I feel like because I have the opportunity to, to purchase this these things, I actually owe it to myself or the cosmos or it's like I I have to uh restrain myself. Well, maybe it is out of principle in that sense, but it's like I really do feel like I am required to restrain myself. You know? Like it's somehow humbling or something like that. I mean, I feel the same way about my wardrobe. I'm about to start, you know, at a new school in the fall. It sounds kind of weird to say this, but I do need like back to clothes, uh, back to school clothes. I've been wearing, you know, if you watch this podcast, uh, in every single episode, I'm wearing the exact same shirt, or I should say the same style shirt. I'm sort of like a Steve, Steve Jobs type where I, I have like four of the same thing. Uh, I've been wearing the same pair of pants. You know, I have like two pairs of pants I just sort of cycle through. But it's like, uh, I think as I'm turning this new page and starting school, and I, and also returning to society, by the way, um, I've just been wearing the same thing because I've been at home all day. But it's like, uh, as I return to school and have to make a make an appearance every day at work and at school and in my life in general, I think it's time to update uh, the wardrobe. But the point is, is that I could do this at any time. You know, I'm very lucky in that regard. It's not like I you know, whatever bills I have have kept me from being able to do these things. It's It's been a, a, a choice. And again, I'm not saying this to be uh, boastful. I mean, I mean, in some ways I'm trying to be self-deprecating. Um, but it's like, it's sort of a double-edged sword because sometimes I wonder if that mentality, although I kind of experience it like a virtue, is if it's, if it's kind of a hindrance as well. You know, are there things in my life that I just sort of suffer with when really, objectively speaking, there's no real reason to suffer from it? Now, I don't want to jump the gun because I feel like there were other places I wanted to go with this, but uh, I, I do want to follow my train of thought here, um, which is I was thinking recently, um, you know, I'm actually kind of embarrassed to say this, but the reason I started thinking about this, I think, was um, uh, two reasons. One, uh, I've been working out on a regular basis now. I work out you know, about four to five days a week for about 30 minutes. And uh, it's not what I used to do. I mean, I used to run very long distances. And, uh, you know, I was certainly in better shape around that time. But, you know, I gained like 20 pounds with COVID. And, uh, you know, over the last year and a half or so. And I just started working out, I think, in February. So now that it's July, I've been doing it for a few months now. And, uh, I have stopped weighing myself just because I, I, in in some ways I, I felt it as kind of a hindrance, you know? Um, but I stepped on the scale the other day and I realized I'd lost 13 pounds. Now, when I was younger, I could have dropped, I could drop weight a lot faster. I think everyone experiences that. It's like you gain five to 10 pounds. You just work out for a month and you're sort of back to where you were. Uh, not so much when you're knocking on the door at 36. But I had lost some weight, and, um, you know, it felt like an accomplishment. And also, the second part of that is, uh, my girlfriend and I went to dinner last night, and uh, she took some photos or whatever. And um, I was looking at one of the photos, and to be fair, if you're also looking at the video, you can see I'm pretty well groomed, you know? I mean, I'm still just a bug-eyed bald bastard, but, um, and actually, I have a little bit of sun, too, I'm seeing. Um, But I always feel a little bit better when I'm groomed. Like, sometimes I just sort of start looking in the mirror, and I, I feel, feel kind of down about my appearance. And then as soon as I groom, you know, 
you can't, uh, what is it? You can't polish a turd. What's the, what's the saying? I don't know. The point is, is you won't, you can only do so much, but I do feel like I, I, I just feel better once I shave my head and sort of uh, grew my face a little bit. But my girlfriend was taking photos and, uh, anytime we do something fun and I took some new photos with this new camera, which look fucking awesome, by the way. Um, yeah, that's exciting for me. Um, I, I've always liked media. And so I, I feel like, uh, especially in COVID, uh, if you've like been connected with my social media at other times in my life, if you followed my music for a long time or, or hell, even if you're connected with me personally, I've done this thing called one second every day where I just sort of film. I go, I just, as I go through my life, I film video and I just sort of, I would take seconds from it for this app called one second every day. And it basically just smashes these seconds together and makes kind of a cool montage of your life. And, um, I didn't do it for a couple, I did it for like four years in a row and then I didn't do it for about a year. And then I got back into it, um, um, for the time leading up to the Matt Nathanson tour and after that. And that was, uh, that was fucking rad. And then I stopped, um, probably the beginning of 2000, I think. I think it was the year 2000. Actually, it could have been 2009, starting in 2019. But the point is, now that we're kind of returning to life as normal, other than the podcast, which I guess serves as well, I kind of regret not filming as much, you know? Um, I mean, really, outside of this podcast, I really don't have any memories or content or artifacts from this period of my life. And on the one hand, you think that makes sense because you feel like there's not much going on. Like, what the fuck do you want to document? But I think that's kind of the point, which is this is a fucking major time in history. And, you know, I I just feel like I I wish I had, you know, even if it was like, you know, 365 boring seconds of video where nothing's really happening, I wish I had something to take with me. So the point is, I'm fucking meandering now, but um, I think the point is I'm glad I have this camera now because I hope it inspires me to document more things and uh, and just kind of get back in touch with, um, you know, that aspect of my life, you know, I used to do a lot of sort of uh, instant photography stuff and just having a camera all the time, just like filming stuff. It was, it just helped me stay in touch with the creative impulse, which I feel like I need more and more in my life now as I get more and more focused on school. Um, but I think all this to say, uh, my girlfriend took some photos and I saw one and I was like, you know what? You look a little bit better than you think you do most of the time. You know, it's like, Usually someone sends you a photo and I don't know, you can sort of pick out all your flaws. And as much as I don't like to admit it, I'm kind of a self-conscious dude. Um, I was going to say vain. I, does vain, does vain necessarily imply that you think highly of your appearance or does, does it just mean that you care a great deal about your appearance? Uh, I'll just say I'm very self-conscious about my appearance. And so if somebody sends me a photo and it's sort of my default is to sort of, um, sort of cringe a little bit. And not that I was uh, in love with the person I saw looking back at me. I'm just saying I, I felt like I looked better, maybe was better groomed, maybe even in, in better shape than I uh, I thought I was. So that was uh, good. And why am I telling you this? Limiting myself? Oh, yes. Now, this is one of the themes we always come back to on the podcast. But as I was looking at that photo, I thought, as I get older... When I look back on photos of myself when I was younger, I think, why was I so hard on myself? 
you know, when we're all young, we tend to be pretty hard on ourselves in terms of how we look. And, you know, there were times in my life, especially growing up, where I was like not in very good shape, where I wasn't really taking care of myself. And I guess, you know, I guess in that sense, I wasn't as appealing as I might have been had I been doing those things. And yet when I look back and see photos of myself, even during those times in my life, I didn't look as bad as I thought I did. You know, so there's this kind of parallel, whereas I'm seeing a photo of myself now and look, I'm not saying you want to look like me, right? You may, uh, you know, if you woke up looking like me, it might be like Freaky Friday where you want, you want to jump back in your own body. But I'm just saying I'm not Quasimodo. Is that the right person? Is that the hunchback who knows your name? Yes, I'm not Quasimodo. And, uh, and so it was just, uh, it was just a similar feeling I had where I sort of go about my life and I feel a certain way about how I appear or how people see me or what they might notice about me. And then I see a photo of myself and maybe it just happened to be a flattering photo. Who knows? But you do think, oh, I, if that's how I look and it, you know, it's kind of a candid photo. If that's how I look, I don't, I don't really need to be that hard on myself. You know, there might even be a couple things about me that someone might like and um actually as i'm saying that i feel weird because i was also thinking concurrently about this thing i've noticed this to me it's a strange phenomenon um not my current girlfriend but uh, my last girlfriend and some people i've dated between that i've heard multiple attractive females refer to themselves as attractive like my last girlfriend one time in conversation in a group of people said, well, you know, because I'm young and attractive, yada, yada, yada. And I don't even remember what she said after that because my brain was like, what? Now, 100% true. She was incredibly attractive. But I was so taken back by somebody who would say that with such nonchalance. And when it was said, I think in her mind... And I think in the minds of her peers and other people, like, that was a way to demonstrate self-awareness. You know, this was probably in, like, 2017, and not that these things haven't been around or percolating for a long time, but we were right at the the burners, the heat was getting turned on on privilege and all these sorts of things. And she was a couple years younger than me, and I think for her peer group, they were steeped in that stuff. And so I think saying that very bluntly was kind of like a way of acknowledging privilege in their mind, like being aware that as a young, attractive female, you go through the world and, um, you know, you are treated differently. And again, I don't remember the context of the conversation, but I, even then I thought I happen to agree with that, right? Like if you're a young, attractive person, especially female, you should realize that, you know, uh, in terms of power and privilege, that's it, you know? Um, uh, or actually I should qualify that a certain type of power and privilege, right? I mean, I think about this in terms of sports stars sometimes, like some people will say, you know, well, uh, if, uh, how can we be a racist society, a racist society when you have people like Jay-Z and LeBron James, and you have all these uh, athletes and musicians of color making a shit ton of money. And I think, well, that's true, but just because it, it could still be the case that we, and by we, I mean white males or white society or whatever it is, white supremacy, you know, that as a, as a society, we only allow people to, to succeed in certain arenas, you know? 
don't don't people find it strange that people of color easily thrive in areas of entertainment but struggle to succeed in other areas? It suggests, you know, I don't believe that people are sort of um, uh, disposed to talent in certain arenas and bankrupt in talent in terms of others, right? Like, uh, so it, it just suggests to me that, that they're being limited in certain arenas is what I'm trying to say. But yeah, I'm just trying to say I've heard multiple women describe them, themselves as attractive and that was um, very, uh, very strange to me. It just landed very weird, and maybe that's a maybe that's a generational thing. Um, so I think I'm just trying to say that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this way in which one goes about the world and thinks about themselves as having faults or magnifying faults of theirs that okay, maybe not as zero, but are not not things that you lead with. You know, actually, this came up with my girlfriend recently. My girlfriend. With, all right, so with this phone, uh, fuck it, I'll just tell you, I got an iPhone. I got a new iPhone. Okay. I got an iPhone 12 Pro. I got a white iPhone 12 Pro, and it looks awesome. Okay? Uh, go out and buy one. Hell, hell, fuck it. Apple, you want to sponsor this video? Go ahead. Okay? Uh, iPhone 12 Pro, buy it. And uh, there's this aspect where in my text messages, I don't know how I stumbled on it, but you can basically create like a a persona of yourself, like a cartoon version of yourself. There's a name for it. I can't think of it. But you basically start with this sort of like Mr. Potato Head sort of generic face, and you choose the gender, you choose the hair, you choose or lack of hair for me, the eyes, the yada, yada, yada. And my girlfriend was like, oh, shit. And she looked in her phone and saw that she had the feature also. So she's like, oh, I'm going to make one. And as she's making it, she's like picking her hair, and it, it doesn't really look like her, but... What stood out for me is there's a moment with the um, uh, the face shape where she goes, oh, I have to pick my round face. And I was like, you don't have a round face. And she's like, well, yes, I do. And I said, compared to who and what? What do you mean by a round face? And she's like, well, compared to, I don't know what she said, like maybe my sister or something. And I go, you may have a rounder face in that person, but... I, I just sort of probed a little bit, and I was like, "Like, do you think you have, like, a fat face? And she's like, well, not fat, but, like, round. And I was like, are you, is that something you're, like, self-conscious of? <clears throat> and actually, if I'm being honest, this was actually following from something else. Um, I don't want to divulge too much just because it's really nobody's fucking business. Um, but uh, my girlfriend and I are starting couples counseling. And uh, not because there's thunder in paradise necessarily. I just think that's something that um, I think people should do eventually <laughs> if you're going to be together for a long time and you're thinking about what the future is going to be like it's probably good to bring somebody in to, to talk about those things but what came up as part of our icebreaker with this new counselor who we may or not may may or may not be continuing with but you make a couple points and or she asked us to list you know at the beginning of your relationship what were the things about this person that you liked the most and i listed like four personality qualities and at the end i in parentheses i put uh, attractive and so I'm rattling off this list of things, and I, at the end of it I say, oh, and parenthetically, attractiveness. And the counselor was like, well, why parenthetically? I said, oh, well, because it's not the most important thing, but I, I happen to think my girlfriend's like very beautiful. And uh, the counselor was like, well, how does that make you feel to hear that? Like, and she was kind of dismissive of it, but my girlfriend has this thing that we sort of joke about. And don't worry, this is all time. Hey, by the way, you're smart. 
You connect the dots, right? I sort of meander around, but you're like me. When I go back, and I don't listen to the full episodes, but when I have, it's surprising to me how fucking connected everything is in ways I can't even understand as I'm talking about it until in hindsight I say, wow, it's all connected. So I'm going to stop apologizing and, and just trust that you're connecting dots like I connect dots sometimes. Now, what the fuck was I talking about? <laughs> um, my girlfriend's attractiveness. How do you feel about that? Yes. So my girlfriend and I had this thing between us that we've talked about for years, which is, uh, I should preface with this. My girlfriend is, to me, very beautiful, very naturally beautiful. She doesn't have to wear makeup, you know? And even when she does wear makeup, she looks pretty, but it doesn't really do anything for her, if that makes sense, you know? Like, I don't mean this as a judgment or in a bad way, but, you know, we all know people who makeup corrects for some things that happens to make them more aesthetically attractive. doesn't mean they're ugly people, but, you know, many people look better with makeup. I genuinely believe that my girlfriend might be more attractive without makeup, you know? We went to this wedding recently, and she put on a little bit of makeup, and I notice it because it's exceptional for her, but there's no part of me that goes, oh, wow, she's more pretty with makeup. I, I happen to think she's just naturally beautiful, okay? And... I mentioned this because this is was the topic of conversation and counseling. And the therapist was like, how does that make you feel? And my girlfriend recounted this thing that has been a story for us for the last few years, which is when we first started dating, in her mind, she had like dolled up for me for like our first couple dates. And then she had planned something, you know, in her mind, she was uh, sort of stealing herself, preparing herself for the date she calls the ponytail date which would be the date where she didn't put on makeup and we would like do something like going for a hike where she would just like put her hair up in a ponytail and just kind of like be herself just to kind of test and see if I still thought she was attractive. Now, this happened completely without me realizing it because like I said, she is beautiful to me without makeup. I had no fucking idea this was going on. But this was like a big deal for her. This was something she had I'm not saying she was, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, cataclysmic, but this was, she had feelings about it, is what I'm saying. And we sort of talked about it, and I've always thought that's strange, but every time I've had a point, I've, I've, I've tried to make the point to her that I, that's not how I see you. I, I think it's, it's telling for me, and it's good to know that you see yourself that way, because it, you know, because I feel a certain way about you very confidently. In some ways, I might be dismissive. If you're having a strong emotional reaction or feeling about things, I guess I, I need to be attuned to how you're feeling about things. If you're feeling insecure or whatever the case may be. It's just something good to be aware of. Um, and so I'm, I'm just tying that back to the idea that my girlfriend lives with insecurities that don't even register for me. That very tangibly impact the way she experiences the world goes through the world, experiences herself when, you know, and I'm not just talking about her, I'm saying we all, right? You connect the dots. We all live this way. We all live with insecurities and things that like we dial up about ourselves that I bet most people, if we ask them to make a list of 10 things that they don't like about us, I guarantee you our top five wouldn't make most people's lists. I mean, unless we're like overtly 
malicious, dysfunctional people where we are fully aware of the ways in which we harm people, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like our substance abuse issues or something like that. Um, I think a lot of the things that we carry around in our life that limit us, other people just don't see. We're self-limiting in those ways. And, uh, yeah, I don't even know how this came up necessarily, but I I just, that, that's something I've, I've lived with my whole life. You know, what's funny. Actually, this is a fucking perfect example. So the last episode, I hope you liked it because if you didn't, this is going to sound fucking nuts, but I did the last episode and I've enjoyed doing, I would say the last six episodes or so. I've enjoyed doing those more than the last 30 Honestly, <laughs> the last 30 have been fucking really hard. The 30 before that, I should say, have just like been like kind of hard. And I think there's been good episodes in there. I'm not saying don't listen to those episodes. I'm just saying from my very personal experience, I've enjoyed doing the last six or seven more than I have in a long time. But the last episode I did, I didn't feel great about as I was doing it. I thought, eh, well, you know, they can't all be home runs and it's called good enough for a reason and stop record and upload whatever i heard from a few of you that you really liked that episode now some of you are strangers but some of you are my friends so sometimes i worry that some people are just like uh blowing smoke up my ass but one person i heard from who by the way i called today and didn't fucking answer so fuck you but i'm talking about our mvp matt evans and uh i don't think I'm oversharing for him because I, I think this is something we all struggle with. But, you know, he's reflected and shared that, you know, talking about that concept of being scared to do the thing, feeling called to do something in your life that you feel scared to do. Um, that's something that he feels as well. And I think a lot of people our age feel that way. You know, when you turn 36, you're you're not a fucking kid anymore. I mean, there's no lying about it. And I, you know, if you're younger than that, it sounds insane to say that one might still consider themselves to be young at like 30 even. But let's check in with each other in 10 years when you reach 35 or whatever. But, um, you know, it is very fucking abundantly clear now, not just in my mind or age, I mean, in the way people interact with me, that for like, I am I have both feet into adulthood, you know, like for young people, I'm fucking a squaresville, you know, and, uh, I'm from an era they don't even fucking understand. Right. And so when that becomes your reality, not just something that's looming or something you might be flirting on the threshold of when that becomes your reality, you really do think, huh, where am I? What have I done? You know, people talk about a midlife crisis or a quarter-life crisis. I don't know. Is 50 spooky? I don't know. Check in with me. I bet 40 is a weird one. You know, and 30 some 30 is, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't feel 30 was weird. I felt like I had arrived. I mean, maybe some of that had to do with, like, where I was at in my life. I mean, that was one of the most, I, I would say in some ways the saddest, but also the most exciting years of my life. And, um, you know, in some ways... And this is probably going off topic here, but I feel like I'm preparing myself for another period like that. And uh, in some ways, I think the last couple episodes are a result of that. 
you know, uh, fuck it. If I'm really going to follow my thoughts, you know, I mentioned, I mean, seriously, the last few weeks, the thing that has, it's been like a dagger in my heart. Every time I think about it is Bo Burnham's inside, which I cannot bring myself to watch. It's so fucking devastating. I've alluded to this creative project I've had in my mind for years now, really stemming from that period where I turned 30. I had this, I mean, I can't even describe it. I had this, what felt like an epiphany, this insight, this inspired idea to create something. And I'm not saying it was inside, but I'm saying there's been a couple things that have come out that are so close and kind of touch on that, that it really makes me feel like because I didn't do that, because I didn't act on that impulse, the cosmos took this idea, broke it into a number of pieces. And because this work had to be carried out somehow, it gave the task to other people. And, you know, maybe I'm, maybe you think I'm fucking crazy, but I believe Bo Burnham's inside is that I felt, you know, I felt like I was possessed of not that idea specifically, but the same spiritual uh, mechanism behind it uh, five years ago. And, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks, I, I mean, there was one night at my girlfriend's place I lost sleep over. I didn't sleep all night. I was just sitting there just kind of beating myself up in my brain, you know, saying, why didn't you do it then? Why didn't you do the thing? You know, and if you want to connect dots, obviously the point I'm trying to make is why do we limit ourselves? I mean, it's so easy for me to sit here. We've talked about this over and over and over again. I'm painfully aware of what art is supposed to be and what it does and what it's supposed to teach us and, you know, the meaning of dedicating your life to something. And yet, you know, like there's a, you know, the play Equus, there's a movie of it as well, but it's about like this therapist who sees a young man who, I don't know if it's apparent throughout the whole story, but, uh, it comes to light that he's like having sex with horses. (laughs) Now that's not the point. The point is, is that, the psychiatrist has this monologue where he's sort of talking about he meets this young man who's free, you know, and I think this, like, psychologist is probably really into, like, Jung and, like, mythology and Campbell and, like, he's really into all this stuff and and, and he, uh, culture and he's well-traveled and he likes to think he's in touch with this, like, mechanism of society and life and whatever. And yet in this young man, he sees somebody who's truly free, who doesn't just understand these things on an intellectual level, it actually informs his life. And he feels so jealous of this young man. At one point, I forget the line, but he says like, you know, here this person is doing X, Y, and Z, and I can't even travel across these without my kaopectate. I think I'm saying that right. Basically, it's like a, it's like a modium, anti-diarrheal medication, you know, which is such a vivid image, you know, of like, I actually have to take this uh, socially, societally, uh, pharmaceutically manufactured thing so I can tolerate the elements I'm pretending to be a part of, right? When in actual fact, they make me sick. I'm just not accustomed to it. You know, you're like, in terms of like reality, you're like the bubble boy alternative. Like you're living, you need to be, you actually need to be um, uh sealed away from those things that you're pretending to want to be in touch with. You you literally can't handle them. And I feel that. I really feel that. You know, I, I, I and again, I, I, I honestly can't bring myself to watch it. 
but just what I've sort of seen in passing, and I've actively tried to avoid it. It's like someone who like has the Super Bowl recorded on their DVR, and like they're going through their entire day like going la 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 as people talk about it, just trying not to get the score. That's how I feel about inside. I see people posting about it, and I quickly fucking scroll past it. Every time Netflix, like, I see the little thing, it's like, I just fucking zoom past it. I don't want to fucking see it. Uh. I will watch it, and it'll be devastating. Um, but I think about making it. You know, it was just an idea for Bo Burnham. And this is, and I think I talked about this actually in another episode. The part that kills me also is I think, you know, nobody just wakes up and decides to make something that's like incredible. You know, Bo Burnham has an entire career as an entertainer. And, you know, I don't pretend to know, but I can guarantee you uh, on some level (laughs) that um, that is the culmination of all of his experiences. And... um, you know, I, I, I always bring up Harry Houdini, or uh, we were talking about the documentary Free Solo, but when people dedicate their life to something, that's what they need to sort of win people to them, you know? I've talked about it in terms of John MacArthur, this um, um, Christian fundamentalist, reformed, maybe that's better, reformed Christian fundamentalist pastor who I've been listening to, who I, dis- again, although I disagree with most everything he says, what I find impressive about him. Even people like Ben Shapiro. Like I was talking about, I don't understand why people are just so averse to people. They disagree with their opinions. How are they able to dismiss this other component, which is, you know, even if you disagree with his points, Ben Shapiro is very smart or Jordan Peterson. These people are very, very smart. And even if you disagree with them, I'm still convinced they've thought more about their position than most of their adversaries. So even if you disagree with them, there's just something so compelling about hearing them speak because whether or not you agree with it, I believe that they believe it and they've thought about why they believe it. And even though you may dismiss, you know, the the the, the truth value of what they say, there's still a profound lesson to be learned there. And... Uh, I I think we feel that in the presence of true art as well. Whether or not it's our thing, we know when we're in the presence of somebody who's making a statement from their experience. And so, again, I haven't seen it. But um, when I look on my life, I think I have these, but what, what what have I actually dedicated my life to that I can speak from with some authority that people would care what I have to say? You know, you look at, uh, is it Derek Delgadio's in and of itself? The mentalism, the magic, the, the, the creation of this show that it's not only just the culmination of his skills, which most people don't have the fucking wherewithal or um, commitment to dedicate their lives to the skills of the magic alone, but the show itself is genuinely born out of his life. Without having lived the life he lived, the decades, that story would not have happened. It is the perfect fusion of a skill and craft he's dedicated his life to and a deep meditation on his own experience. Fused together to create a, 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 like what art is supposed to be. And I'm not saying it's for everyone, but when I'm in the presence of that, I know 
That is for me. When I talk about this conversation happening through history, that is the conversation I'm talking about. And I'm not saying it's a, you know, well, I, I, I certainly feel like it is a universal conversation, but I'm also willing to admit that it, it may just be a wavelength I'm sort of dialed into. And even though I haven't seen it, I can guarantee you that inside is a link in that chain. And when I look at my life, I think, if I died, the thing that I would regret the most is the thing I didn't make five years ago. And when I think about where I'm at in my life today and I think about being at school and the other processes and and things I've sort of committed myself to, there's a part of me that feels trapped. You know, I mentioned most of us in our lives, we're sort of bought and sold. You know, I think about this, you know, there were, you know, I mean, I pursued music years past, um, other people I knew gave up long ago. And the, I think the real reason for that, aside from, I think I happen to have a certain, uh, belief in myself or, um, tenacity or resilience or, uh, doggedness or, um, I don't know what you call it, and work ethic too, probably, and, and, and whatever. I mean, things that are good, but it's also because I've, I've been able to afford to do that. You know, talk about privilege. Uh, privilege is the, is the, the, the real privilege is being able to choose what you do rather than life and circumstances choosing for you. But so many of us make what we think is the right choice to do what we're supposed to do. And then we're kind of, we're married to that process. It's too late for us to turn back. And we just sort of let it play out and lead us where it's supposed to. And I was actually talking about this in therapy. I am fucking flabbergasted. And I guess this will sort of be my, my birthday reflection here. I'm flabbergasted that at 36, I still look at myself and think, I cannot believe that I feel like such a stranger to myself. I'm going to correct that, actually. I am flabbergasted. In some ways, I feel, I was sort of saying this too, like as I was trying to bite back tears in therapy, but I, when I go through my life, the truth is there's no mysteries to me about who I am and what I want. But the battle comes from giving myself permission to let that be okay. It's like, if you put a gun to my head and said, what do you want to do? What do you want to spend your time doing? There's no fucking mystery about it. And yet my will feels so far away from that. I don't know what needs to happen for me to just let go of all of that stuff and just do what I want to do. And the, the, you know, the, the, what's standing in the way is one big should. I should do this. I should do that. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. 
and I'm already apologizing for it as I say it, but, you know, not that wanting to do something is necessarily the deciding reason for it, but I'm talking about, you know, there is a thing that I want to create that when I think about it, I'm like moved to tears, not because it's so great. I'm just saying it means so much to me. You know, that I like choke up sometimes when I think about it. And the reason I'm even saying that, you know, I heard uh, we've talked about the game uh, developer, Jonathan Blow, who talked about that. If you want to know what to dedicate your time to, I'm sort of extending it to life in general. I think he meant it in sort of a creative context, but it should be the type of thing that when you think about it, you're practically moved to tears. And I went, it's like I... You know what, I, f- I feel like my life is like that old sort of cliche parable that you hear about, uh, you know, someone uh, in a flood who's waiting for a sign from God. And it's like, there's been a flood, he's on the roof of his house, and some people are leaving, and they say, come with us. And he says, no, I'm waiting for a sign from God. And then someone comes by in a canoe and says, hey, come with us. And he says, no, I'm waiting for a sign from God. And then a helicopter comes, and they say, come with us. And he says, no, I'm waiting for a sign from God. Then he drowns, goes to heaven. And he says, God, I was waiting for a sign. He's like, well, didn't you see the people or the canoe? Or the helicopter that I sent for you? That's my life. My life. I don't know how many more signs I need. Not only should the the period of inspiration that I had was fucking terrifyingly amazing, overwhelming. I... I very much felt like I was being gifted this view. It felt like an an idea inspired from on high. It was a gift from the cosmos, and I felt blessed, and I didn't act on it. And for the last five years, I've seen it ramp up and up and up. It's getting broken up. It's getting worked out in other ways. It's a better start. It's getting too late, and seeing the window close, and you know, Derek Delgadio's in and of itself was a big fucking blow. I think, I, I don't know. I, 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 as I think about it, I, I think on the last episode, I, so that said, there's a couple, there's at least two or three nails that need to be uh, sort of hammered into the coffin for the lid to be closed. But um, so far, seeing uh, inside, or that it exists, not even having seen it, is uh, the biggest blow that I have felt. It, um, it's, uh, I feel creatively, it's creatively devastating, you know, um, it's the type of thing that when I think about it, and even now I'm just talking about it, but sometimes I really, it it sort of hits me and I just sort of shudder and I feel like, uh, you know, I think the point I'm really trying to get at is (laughs) I was talking in therapy and I said, you know, I feel like such a stranger to myself. I'm just terrified that I'm going to look up and live with profound regret for the rest of my life. And my therapist kind of said the same thing. You know, yeah, I think it would be a tragedy. You know, the scariest, you know, I think what's hard about my life in general, too, is I think... I think there are people near me who want things for me and they believe that they're acting in my best interests 
And I, th- I guess I'm just sort of imagining how they were here that, and they would be like concerned, you know, like, what is your therapist encouraging you to do? But I think I happen to be very lucky that I have a therapist who just sort of takes what I say and, and sort of believes it. And again, I, I think it takes us, you know, I'm not trying to say that this is like, uh, there are plenty of people who feel this way. I'm just saying it, it seems to be, it, I know it's exceedingly rare in our culture, for people to actually entertain the idea that your life doesn't have to be anything. You know? Your life can be whatever you want. Whatever you can bring your bring it to be, right? I'm not just saying you can decide to be president one day. I'm saying you can work in whatever direction you want. And whatever you're able to accomplish, just you can do that. You're not doing anything wrong. I mean, as long as you're not imposing your will and limiting the freedoms of other people, you can do whatever you want. And it's such an easy thing to say. It's an entirely other thing to do it. And I think for me, that's why, whether it's John MacArthur, the pastor, or even just being, you know, um, attracted to religion my whole life, despite being an atheist, it's because there's something about that message, the challenge of living a, a real religious, faithful life. You know, I think of, uh, there's a theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, calls, who talks about the cost of discipleship. You know, most churches deal in cheap grace. You know, and when I hear John MacArthur talk about this in some ways, it really resonates with me. You know, a lot of uh, evangelicals and, um, oh, there's a word I'm thinking of, um, charismatic, uh, the whole charismatic movement. Just this belief that, like, you know, for belief in Jesus alone is, is enough to be saved or um, whatever. But, you know, when you read the Gospels or you read about religion, it's like nobody's getting saved. <laughs> like, most people are deceived, you know, most people who are successful according to the standards of the world are definitely not going to heaven because they've been living, they, you know, they have lived according to the world. You know, what is it? It's harder, it's easier for a horse to walk through the eye of a needle than, than for a rich man to get into heaven. Whether you're Richard Branson or Mark Zuckerberg or even Steve Jobs, it doesn't matter what you do for the world. It's have you lived according, have you lived a spiritual life? And I I happen to think that some spiritual lives can be celebrated by the culture and by society. But very rarely. And believe it or not, maybe this is just some wild self-justification here or rationalization or whatever. In some ways, I'm, I wonder, although I experience the success of other people or the completion of creative projects that feel similar to what I wanted to do by other people, which are being publicly celebrated, the, the message I'm feeling is like, well, now it's too late. But I'm almost wondering if on a spiritual level, it's like, well, now you really have to do it. You know, now you really have to do it because, again, the victory is not in what the world thinks of it. It's not about it being celebrated. It's about doing the thing. And uh, I don't mean to wax poetic here when I say, I just had a birthday. I've had big changes in my life around birthdays. And this is from a guy who doesn't think a shit ton about their birthdays. But this is where I start to sound nutty. But 
I'm telling you, when I consulted the I Ching, it said 10 years. It's been seven. And what I want to do is going to take some time. And I'm just saying, I feel... something germinal <laughs> and also we're arriving toward 100 episodes here it's like west side story something's coming i don't know what it is but it is gonna be great the air is humming something great is coming could be, who knows? What's needed is courage. Not just me, you need it too. But this is what I mean. I need it. I need to do the thing because someone else needs it. <laughs> to see it as much as I experience it like a fucking dagger in my heart there's a way in which seeing that inside exists is the cosmos giving you permission to do the thing I've been telling myself for six years <laughs> that I need to create what I want to create for one person I don't even know who they are, but I mean that very literally. This needs to be done because one person needs to see it. Because they have something that needs to be made. You know, I've mentioned that Tupac quote. I may not change the world, but I will spark the mind that will change the world. I actually think that just goes on in perpetuity. <laughs> I don't know that any one person actually changes the world, but it's this idea that you create something because it inspires somebody somebody else to create something. And in that way, this torch, this conversation continues through time. <clears throat> to what end, who knows? You know. <sighs> As for conversations, this one has come to a close. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, you can. On Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute. Rate and review us. Give us five stars. Type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Also, video podcast available now at thisismpod.com. It looks fucking beautiful. Or at least I hope it will once I get it off this phone. Um, you can uh, watch the video at thisismpod or you can click through and watch it on our, on our YouTube channel. <laughs> You'll be the only one there. And uh, you can subscribe. And uh, get all these videos as they come out. Hopefully as they look a, bit, a little bit better, they may be more toler tolerable to watch. Otherwise, uh, let's see what the last five or six episodes bring us as we approach 100. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. And ciao for now.